Before I start today's show, I want to thank everybody who contributed to WOWD's Fund Drive last week. It's not too late to support community radio, so if you'd like to contribute, go to tacomaradio.org slash donate. Thank you. Dear listener, this is Interfaith-ish. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and every other Wednesday right here on Tacoma Radio, we bring you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. Dear listener, if you've been following this show during the past couple of months, while we've been in the throes of the pandemic, you know that we've had to adapt to our new reality of not recording live in studio, as my merry band of interfaith astronauts have done since we started our show two years ago. One thing I've been reflecting on is how to maintain the intent of the show, bringing neighbors into conversation when we can't actually bring neighbors into the same space. Well, limitations breed creativity, dear listener, and I began to think of the online space as a sort of neighborhood, particularly the podcasting world. There are so many wonderful shows exploring issues of identity and belief from a myriad different perspectives. So this week, I'm starting a new series of episodes introducing some of the people behind those shows to you, dear listener, and to each other. What can we learn together? What will we discover? How will we bridge divides at once cultural, geographic, and technological during the shared experience of the pandemic? Keep listening to find out. For this first foray, I'm excited to have not just two, but three guests. Palayo Alvarez and Melissa Weiss from the Forbidden Apple podcast and Firelight from Inciting a Riot. Palayo grew up as a Spanish Catholic, Melissa as a Hasidic Jew in Brooklyn, and Firelight as a Southern Baptist in Texas, three contexts that on the surface couldn't be more different. But as we explore in our conversation, there are definitely parallels between living in these homogeneous religious communities. We also explore each of their experiences coming out as gay, and how there are both unique and similar challenges sharing with their families that they've chosen a different spiritual path than what they were raised with. The questions, the struggles, and what remains unspoken today. So take a big bite of that forbidden apple, dear listener, and get ready to incite a riot. It's time to get into some interfaith-ish. I'm super excited to have all of you on. Palayo, you're from from the north of Spain originally, right? And grew up in a predominantly Catholic community. Yes, yes, I am. I am, and uh, we always discuss how like difficult it is sometimes to understand what is religion back there and what is culture, because both things are so like interrelated and uh, they go so like well together in a way that you really don't know, mm. okay, this the, comes from the religion, this comes from the tradition, but yeah, as a whole, it's a very traditional culture, uh, especially coming from like my family. And I was, um, I grew up there for the last 20 years and came here around like five years ago to the States. So that was like a big culture shock. And uh, mm. that was where I started to like explore my sexuality and uh, recently explore more like the spirituality part of uh, 
myself and kind of like reconnecting with some concepts that when I grew up didn't really didn't really relate to me. If I understood correctly from from listening to some of your shows um, as well, I there it was a pretty homogenous place to be, right? To to be in the north, it, it's the north of Spain. Um, what what city is it again? It's uh, Gijón. <laughs> it's in Asturias. In yes. So so interesting. I've actually been to Gijón. I was no there. Way. Uh, I was there. Yeah, I was there as an um, an exchange student in Spain when I was fifteen. I was in Madrid, but the kids that I was staying with in Madrid had this uh, swimming tournament, and so we drove with their whole swimming team all the way up to Gijón, and it was actually during the Semana Santa. And I'll 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 share sort of the the uh, interfaith education that I got while I was there. So okay, while we were on the road road to Gijón it was the first time that I saw it was at a rest stop I saw swastika graffiti there were there were swastikas that were that were spray painted on um, on the on the sides of some buildings and I was really shocked by this um, and I was talking talking to some of the the kids on the on the trip about you know do you guys have neo-nazis here and 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 asking about you know Jews and and things like that and and they didn't understand what Jews were. They said, yeah. "But you mean you go to a church, right?" And and I said, "No, Jewish. It's it's completely different. You know, it's before Jesus." And and they, it would it it didn't compute at all. Yeah, I I feel like in Spain as a whole, there's such a homogenous religious perspective. You can either either be Catholic and you can be non-religious an atheist mm. and usually the people that are an atheist are really procre- uh, proactively against religion in a way and yeah. Uh, yeah like like you said I didn't know what uh, being Jewish meant I didn't know what being Muslim meant until like further into my life or until coming here at some point when you and Melissa met had you met any other Jewish people before that point was that was that a, a, a something new for you that you guys explored also were you curious about her and her background definitely definitely i mean also melissa has a super interesting story but above <laughs> all i never i had never met a, a jewish person before not uh not to say an, an ultra orthodox jewish uh, person so mm. i think at the beginning it was not what caught my attention from her it was more like our conversations and seeing that she was also like exploring her sexuality and how she listened because i think she's like a very good listener so i think at that point i needed that and that's what i got from her uh so mm. i think that kind of like swam through but and it was then through the time how i started learning more about judaism and learning more about what being jewish meant and i think i'm still i'm still doing so because um we have guests in the podcast that are from completely different backgrounds, from from people that have converted to Judaism, from people that came from like a super orthodox um, community and then left. So there's a lot of like different shades, and uh, I'm still learning. I'm still learning what that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds like a good person to have a podcast with. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah. Palayo, he comes to New York. He meets this nice Jewish girl. You guys, you guys met at a party. Melissa, can Correct. you pick up the story from there? How did you guys how did you guys meet and and hit it off? Yeah. So we met at a friend's party and 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 we got into conversation and we were the only ones that were we were newly out, I would say, or newly mm. dating or 
so we were talking about our experiences so we bonded and that's when we started to like and the next year we met again at this party and did that again and then from there we became friends and roommates for a time and and eventually and we would always get into these kind of conversations you know about like growing like about yourself and about awareness in the world and where we're from and what makes us us and how we can I don't know be our best selves kind of cheesy but and then we would and then eventually we it turned it into a podcast so how did you find your way to to that party as it were you were yeah you grew up in a Hasidic community in Brooklyn very different from Catholic north of Spain yes I was raised in in, uh, in Brooklyn in Borough Park in a Hasidic home and I which yes very very different from northern Spain to me like everyone I knew was Jewish so it's actually also pretty homogenous um, and I um, it's very particular you know with like dress code which most people would uh know when they see hasidic jews it's, it's through the dress code but it's also particular in like the daily rules and the large families and your whole life is is in the community so i grew up in new york but also in my own little like shtetl in new york you know mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and speaking yiddish so english is not my first language um either right. so in those ways i feel like palayo and i actually bonded really well because we were both we were both like um in some ways, I feel like an immigrant in some ways, but we were both like mm-hmm. learning the world, learning New York, for, you know, at the same kind of time. Um, I around was, that time that you both met? Around the time we both met. I had been out for, uh, I had left the community for a while, but there's still this like sense of of New York not being my home. Like, I don't know if that sounds right, but like... No, I think that's that's, it's an amazing thing to recognize about the two of you. You know, one being an immigrant coming to to New York and and experiencing it as a new place and then for you Melissa being somebody that was raised in New York but but in this insular community and so then stepping out of that community it's like you said you're discovering the city for the first time this yeah. whole outside world yeah so so both of you grew up in rather homogenous communities Catholic Spain and Hasidic Brooklyn so what about that experience led to your curiosity to explore the religion and faiths of other people? I think that we also uh, have something in common is that we had like a lot of questions that were remained unanswered in different ways. In my in my side, it was because a lot of things were taken for granted. Like I say, if if you asked about something about the religion, if you asked about something about God or about like your position in society as a man or about your sexuality, it would be like a direct answer of uh, not really a question, just like this is like this because it is how it's always been, right? And I feel like that was the first thing that made me try to go on a search on my own and understand that I was not going to get the questions from my family, from my culture, from like all that I'm bringing, right? And I had to start exploring, start traveling, start uh, meeting new people, meeting new cultures to try to get the questions that I was not really getting answers from. And what about you, Melissa? What, what was the journey like for you that, that led you to step outside of your community and, and, and ultimately be, be curious and asking these questions? Yeah, so that's just something, the questions is like a running theme, right? It's like now I get to do it, we get to do it in the podcast and ask other people questions and voice our questions. In my community, I've, I was doing that a lot and that caused a lot of problems in the community because I was, for me, because they weren't ha- they weren't that happy with my questions because I was, it, they were worried that other people, I would make other people question. It was something that mm. was very much um, 
looked at as a bad thing. And so, or when I had gone to Hebrew seminary, there was, um, which is a religious Hebrew seminary um, in England, you, I was allowed to question up to a certain point, And then it was also considered not like if it was a shame, I wasn't born male because as a woman, it wasn't necessary. That's what the rabbi told me. And so it, mm. there was this like questions was bad. And now we get to use it in a way that's uh, positive. And so I think with when Pilayo and I explored this, um, there was this the same sense in me that was questioning was also questioning the world, also questioning why people do certain things and follow certain things without have, making sense. You know, some, it, it felt sometimes like um, there wasn't a space to question and for all of us to have a different understanding of the world and just discuss it. There wasn't that space in my world or I couldn't find it in the world. And so with Palaya, mm -hmm. we had that. Well, I want to bring Firelight into the conversation yeah. as well. So Firelight, tell me about about uh, your journey. Does this idea of questioning and asking these difficult questions in a context where questions are not always appreciated, is that something that resonates with you and your upbringing? Oh my gosh, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to these uh, stories from Palayo and Melissa. And, and despite the fact that you guys are uh, from such different backgrounds than me, especially uh, in, in uh, geographic uh, terms, you guys are from much larger cities and from much larger communities than I'm from. Um, I, I just... I, I keep nodding my head because our experiences are so similar. Um, I grew up in a really small town out in the middle of East Texas. Uh, we had 585 people and nine Baptist churches. So uh, wow. I grew up in some, oh, wow. yeah, I grew up in a combination of like Footloose and Friday Night Lights. Um, we weren't allowed to have prom because dancing is a sin. So <laughs> uh, I, I know wow. it. I know a thing or two about that, you know, being the uh, ostentatiously gay child uh, that that just vehemently and vociferously did not uh, like football um, made mm -hmm. me in and of itself a uh, kind of a, a lone person out in the, the wilderness of East Texas. But uh, being gay and, and not really... Uh, jiving with with the religious landscape there um uh just added to it uh i i came to my faith uh or i came to my spiritual path um uh, you know in in high school i guess where a lot of people start questioning things um you know the when you go to church and your church is uh, telling you how dark and evil and twisted you are just for existing in your body. And, uh, you know, I I can go through all the sob stories of uh, conversion therapy and having hands laid on you and, and you know, trying to pray the gay out of you and all of that, um, you know, went, went through all that. And when you go to church and your church is telling you that, you know, what you are, who you are, something that you can't help is, is evil and twisted and dark and bad, um, you begin to think, ah, I'm not really quite sure this is for me. Uh, glad it's working for you guys. Uh, but oh, I don't know if I'm going to do this much longer. Um, and I don't know that I had a lot of uh, choice to, to shop around for faith. I didn't really have a very diverse community to, to learn about things. So what did you do in the late 90s, early 2000s? You went to the bookstore. <laughs> 
did. I thought you were going to say you joined a, an AOL instant messenger group. Girl, girl, we didn't have internet. What are you talking about? <laughs> we didn't have internet out in the boonies. My God. Like, I think my first computer we got when I was a senior in high school, and it was like rough dial-up like it was it wasn't even good dial-up it was it was like leftover dial-up that they found in like a shed somewhere it was rough <laughs> so while you're waiting for that to load you ran over to the to the bookstore 30 minutes away yeah and um you know i, I late 90s early 2000s what's out there what's fun what's interesting uh people are uh, you know you watch buffy you watch charmed you watch all the the fun stuff and you kind of get hooked and interested in the idea that oh hey magic is fun finding books finding people finding connections um i found a spiritual path uh that works for me that um uh you know, paganism is is just sort of a, a natural uh, reverence for uh, the world around you, the changing cycles of life, um, you know, honoring the dead and honoring the living and honoring the changing of the seasons. And for me, the way that I interact with that is just, um, uh, you know, really... Uh, gaining an appreciation for the fact that life continues to move on and uh you know that we all persevere that life is uh life in and of itself is sacred and to me that worked that fit you know one of the things that we've talked about when we've had folks who identify as pagan on our show before is is to understand that that what's under the umbrella of paganism is is a a broad spectrum of belief and so it's important to understand what you know, individual practitioners mean when when they um, you know are are calling themselves pagan or when somebody you know is sort of seen viewed as as being pagan. So I'm curious for you, Firelight, what what um, how do you define that, or or is you know labeling even problematic? So I'm glad that you brought that up because that's kind of why I was stumbling around. <laughs> few minutes ago the 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 problem um with just saying oh well i'm pagan is that that means so many different things to so many different people the funny thing about being pagan is that we represent about 0.03 percent of the population but we have an entire aisle at barnes and noble um so <laughs> it's it's a little nuts because uh the the word pagan um uh tends to encompass a lot of different kinds of spiritualities everything from just sort of new age spirituality which seems to be a lot of like aliens and crystals and cryptids and <laughs> candles and self-care mm. um you know the biggest name in the game is probably wicca uh and mm -hmm. i you know found a lot of books on that you know love it great I'll dabbled in it in college not for me uh <laughs> the 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 issue that i had um with identifying as as wiccan and pursuing that path was at least at the time in the you know 80s 90s early 2000s um uh, Wicca kind of had a, a pretty problematic thing with being very gender based and only recognizing two genders and having a very, very, very serious focus on fertility and, and uh, uh, you know, man and woman and conjoining. And it was, a you know, lots and lots of uh, baby making, spiritual baby making. So that just really mm. wasn't for me. A big gay guy here. Not not for me. Works for other people. Not for me. Um, 
mm-hmm. but there are all sorts of other uh, folks under the pagan umbrella. You have the Asatru folks, which are sort of a Nordic reconstruction group. You have Hel- Hellenic reconstructionists that uh, try to um, rebuild the the faith of uh, you know sort of ancient Greek and Roman societies. You have uh, Druids. You have I mean just all sorts of people out there. Um, for me. Um, I don't really walk in any sort of named path. I, I just call myself pagan and and generally uh, try to honor the natural world, the cycles of things, um, get in touch with uh, my spiritual inner self, um, the, the gods and deities of my understanding. Uh, for me, it's a little bit quieter of a faith, I suppose. I, I don't have as mm. much uh, structure or order to it. Um, as some other folks do. I love that. I respect that. But growing up in a really strictly religious household, I guess I just never found the whole uh, need for order thing uh, necessary for me. Well, I think it's really interesting then that, you know, your parents elected to give you the Christian name Firelight, and then you ended up as a pagan. It's so it's really amazing. Okay, so the name, the name. I'm not. My name's not really Firelight. Um, there's so if you, <laughs> so if you go to the, we don't have to go there. I'm just I'm no, no, no. I, it's a funny story. And it's very, very short. So if you go to the the pagan witchy aisle of the bookstore, you see books by lots of people. And at the time, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, um, you. Gosh, I'm old now. Uh, at the time a lot of books were were by people that were using what they called magical names or basically pen names uh, that that I always called Technicolor Sparrow Bear names. Um, They usually involved like a color, an element, an animal, something like that. Uh, Silver Raven Wolf was the big name in the 90s. Mm -hmm. And my thing, because I always thought those names were really silly, uh, you were supposed to like take the letters of your given name and add them up in a certain way and you got a number and then your spiritual name was supposed to match that number and you had to do all anyways so I did all that as a joke a very long time ago and then I started a blog and the podcast and all of it kind of blew up before I could really think do I really want to be known by this name because it sounds silly and now when like people meet me that listen to my show they're like hi firelight and i'm like that's just weird but okay it's been 10 years i guess can't change it now so that's how that came about (laughs) see i thought that was going to be uh your your story was going to be that that was your uh instant messenger well you know my uh, great name also well great grandpappy firelight came over here from (laughs) the. (laughs) it's an old english it's an old english name yes with the y for the i Oh boy. Well, listen, I I do want to um ask if uh, about your you know what similarities or differences you found in um you know coming out as gay versus coming out as as pagan at work to your family were there were there parallels were there challenges to that? So, um for me, I I uh, I, I I guess I'm still in some kind of broom closet. I don't really walk around uh work just daily life saying, oh, hi, I'm Mr. Firelight and I'm a pagan. Please ask me about my magic wand. Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, um, I've just not really ever found uh, a need to discuss labels with colleagues, coworkers, or really family uh, even. 
Mm-hmm. Like I said, mm-hmm. they're incredibly, incredibly religiously conservative and politically conservative, just very conservative all the way around. Uh, and the issue is uh, with them, it's like they're still getting over the gay thing. <laughs> so, like, you know, 30 something years later, still getting over the whole gay mm-hmm. thing, still getting over the fact that, you know, I've been married to a man for 14 years. It's uh, it, it, you got to pace things out. a little. Yeah, bit. they're 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 still not quite comfortable with that and not and by I said not quite comfortable like not at all comfortable <laughs> <laughs> um so I, I've just never really thought that the spiritual battle was something that I I wanted or needed in my um existence with my parents mostly because I live in Chicago they're in Texas it just doesn't really come up and I don't want it to come up however um my advice for folks uh that do belong to minority faiths that might feel that putting a label on it in conversation uh will instantly come with a, a, a bunch of stigma um, and a lot of assumed, uh, you know, beliefs and practices by the person who you're talking to. Um, I've always found that it's a lot more important to just talk about what you believe uh, rather than the name that you give to your beliefs, mostly because mm-hmm. uh, we have a lot more in common than we do um, differences. And I, I've, I've always found that it's a lot easier to, to talk beliefs, that it's talk, uh, easier sometimes even to talk practices. It's amazing uh, the kinds of things that, you know, your staunchly conservative Aunt Christie will uh, uh, be totally okay with. You know, somebody who's in church on Sunday morning might be reading their tarot cards over some rosé with the girls on Tuesday night or something at book club. Mm. So it's really interesting to sort of see how uh, beliefs over overlap and intersect while not necessarily uh, the names need to overlap or intersect or come into conversation. Palayo and Melissa, I'm, I'm curious about you as well. What were your experiences coming out to your particularly religious families? Um, especially for you, Melissa, where it, it, it sounds like coming out was also wrapped up in this idea of, of uh, leaving your, mm. your community, yeah. your Hasidic community. Yeah, I think that that's that's really um, my my coming out. So my coming out wasn't about my sexuality. It was about like me leaving the community, which included like um, I also I had an arranged marriage, so it included leaving that and um, leaving. You had been married. I did already. Yes, I had been. Oh married. wow. Yeah. So mm-hmm. and it was arranged. You know, it was a community standard. So to not to like leave that and not having a family in that world, like everything that they know. Um, mm. And so they, that that was a really, really big thing. They didn't understand what life outside of the community looked like or could look like for me. And they were very worried and scared and thought it was a phase and was very like, it, it, that's the part that was really, really hard. I think once... So I, they were worried for you, not not that, you know, you were shunned or anything from the from the family. Right. They were worried for me, but some of that included uh, fear of me um, being a bad influence for the kids. You know, that did include some mm. um, stuff that they were worried about me bringing into their lives. But yes, it was ultimately coming from a place of fear. And to them, the outside world was unsafe. And, you know, it's this big, bad world. And how do I navigate it? And they were worried that I would end up on drugs and end up on the street. Like they were just didn't know what I would do with my life. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of that was coming from most of it was coming from fear. And then there's also like 
also this belief, right? Like this is our way of life and this is how you're supposed to be. And what is like, like your life is almost like not worth it or empty if you don't have that. Um, Mm. So it's also kind of worried about my soul as well. Um, Did you feel that yourself in in yourself that you you went through ups and downs in terms of feeling lost or just uh, lost at sea without any any sort of grounding or or, uh, the community to, to... to hold to hold fast to I in those first that, initial months or whatever? Well, I, the first initial months, there was a lot of freedom and it felt really nice mm. to just not to just be my own person and figure out what I like to do um, in regards to career and, and fashion and friends and mm. figuring out the world, music, food, you know, all of that stuff. So that was really, that was a lot. Like I went to the beach for the first time, like that was, and within mm. my swimwear, you know, like that was a big deal. Like feeling mm, really, like mm-hmm. sun on my skin, and because we have all these rules and covering up a lot. There's um, and like eating, you know, all different kinds of non-kosher food. That was like a big deal. Like it was all like, you know, like not keeping Shabbat. Like there was a bunch of like my life suddenly was very different, and that was exciting for me. Before I left, it was more. Uh, um, I didn't want to feel guilty. I needed to explore what I believed in, so that was more of a struggle. But once I actually made the decision to leave. The first year was kind of really, really nice. And then my world came crashing down because I was also putting myself myself through uh, college. And so in that first mm. year, I was finishing that and I was really busy, busy. I was putting myself through school and working two jobs. And I was like on my own and figuring it out. And it was first time I had like, like I had roommates, you know, also people who had mm-hmm. the community. So I had a support system, but it was just like this new experience and it was exciting. And then once, and you were and you were still in Brooklyn, right? Was, you were you were still relatively close geographically to your whole community. I stayed close, I think, for that safety, for that feeling. Um, but I didn't understand that I missed it as much as I did. And mm. right, so the first it wasn't until like once I finished school, I had a little bit more time in my hands, and I was just like felt that loss, and it was a lot of loss. Um, mm. And I had felt it before I officially left. There was a lot of that. But then again, after that first year of excitement, there was also this like, oh, what now? And it's like, what happens? You know, like now it's real life. And there is something very beautiful in the community is that you, whatever you're going through, you have somebody there for you. And the community really joins together to take care of you in any way. If you're like, if someone's sick, if someone like needs financial help, if someone needs food, if someone needs like a ride like you're not alone you can be on the street like 2 a.m and call like your family and that somebody one of your brothers-in-law cousins uncles father Mm. like somebody will pick you up you're never there's this and when you're i do remember feeling that like when i was coming home from like a night out being like "Ah, i'm alone in the world you know there was definitely Mm. that 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 loss and then a lot of there was a lot of learning it was a lot of quick learning because i I had to go through what I think teenagers go through um, or people like I didn't understand like what's like sexual advances in the way that I think other people in the second mm. world grow up because mm-hmm. men and women are kept so di- di- distanced and so um, separate. And we so there were certain situations that I had gotten into that I needed to learn really fast how to get out of. And there was a lot of so I do understand my family was worried because they knew I didn't have those tools. Right. And so like in that way, they mm. were right. I did not have those tools because I was like mm-hmm. a, a grown woman in like this, you know, childlike understanding of the world in some ways. 
and um, and that was and that's kind of that could be dangerous. Um, luckily, yeah. I learned fast. I did I did have some unfortunate experiences, but I learned fast, and there was something I needed to go through. Um, so it's interesting. It sounds like your experience, in contrast to what Firelight was describing, the 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 aspect of your sexuality and coming out. You're you're saying it was it was wrapped up in the whole part of leaving the community, but not something that, as as Farlight was saying, you know, I'm gonna just deal with that separately. I'm gonna deal with that later. Yeah, well, it took me time after coming out. It took me uh, a few years to then understand my own sexuality. So it actually took mm. me time. So my coming out, there was there was always in the community. They were, I I believed in soulmates, and I thought like, and I would be vocal about it and say like why cut off half the population? And I didn't understand what I was saying. Um, but there was always, like I was kind of vocal about like a woman can be as my soulmate as like a Hasidic young girl without understanding what that meant. And they would just laugh at it, think that's silly. Um, mm. So there was definitely these, like as looking back, there's all these little ways that I think that I, I was very queer. I think throughout you know my childhood, there was obvious ways that I was questioning. And that's where like questioning the like, gender binaries came in it was more this expression of what because in my community it's so there's very specific ways that men and women dress and interact and um places they hold in the community and think work that they do and that's where i didn't fit in so it wasn't a discomfort with identifying as female it was a discomfort as identifying as female in that in that sense of community which is like this is what women do and this is what men do and when i was married i had i went on this whole thing of like i'm not a wife from the 50s so if you cook one day, then I'll cook, but I'm not doing the cooking and I'm not doing, there was this mm-hmm. all like, I, I couldn't fit into that role and it, it wasn't mm. working for me as, as a person. I didn't understand how far, how deep that went and that it also included my sexuality. I didn't understand that my sexuality wasn't what I was seeing other people's presentations of. I didn't see anybody that was in a same sex couple. You know, I didn't understand that that was, I wasn't fitting. This idea of having a man and a woman in a relationship was something that I wasn't really knowing how to do or wanting to really explore. So that was something that was difficult. Um, And I think once I left the community, I'm not religious. And and so I'm not religious in their terms. And so for them, in some ways, it doesn't really matter my sexuality because in all ways they're not really approving of my life and they try to be nice about it and kind about it but it's also like I'm not living the kosher life or the life they want me to anyway and so my sexuality is just another way of that and with my mom mm. I, I've, I've had this conversation with my dad it was really hard for me to like tell him I was dating this woman <clears throat> I was dating this woman at the time I guess seriously and and um my dad and I were working it's taking a really long time, but we uh, talked about writing this book together. And I would like, we would talk and then I would transcribe our conversations. And at some point it came up about gay marriage. And so I had to tell him that I wasn't straight because I needed his viewpoints to be more sensitive and human and, you know, mm, mm. and see it not as a political thing, but as an actual like thing. And so I, I was so scared to tell him and I have it recorded, but I did tell him that I was dating this woman and he was just like, okay. And he's like, what did you think I was going to do? Like, you don't live, like, do I like it? No, but I mean, I met, do I accept it? Yeah. You're not living the life I want. Like, you know, I want for you anyway, there isn't a difference. So in a way that was very nice, but also, you know, like, Mm. 
Well, which which of us are living the lives that our parents, parents want, us. <laughs> want us to be living? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I don't know what y'all are talking about. Great grandpappy firelight shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it paid off a couple generations down the road. Yeah. In the second part of our show, we, we turn the mics over to our guests to ask each other questions. And because this is, as you were saying before, this is a, a process of continually learning and um and we want to encourage uh, strong dialogue between the people that are that are coming on to our show. So I want to turn the mics over to you guys to see if, if Palayo or Melissa, you have questions for Firelight and Firelight for, for Palayo and Melissa. Mm-hmm. Uh, Melissa, I don't really have a question for you. I just I, I was just sitting here like nodding vigorously earlier when you were talking about how um, you felt like a, a teenager all over again uh, after you came out. I, I know that, you know, a lot of deep think pieces have been written in the last uh, couple of years about, oh gosh, gay men in their 30s. And why do we dress the way that we dress? And why do we go where we go? And why do we act the way that we act? And why are we all, you know, despite the fact that we're 35, 38, 30, whatever, yeah. it's, it's you know, you you guys are acting like teenagers and, and going to Disney World and watching all these mm-hmm. movies, and whatever. And uh, uh, I, I think that the reason be, um, that that we do after we come out is because we didn't get to be these people during those teenage years. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the person that I am now would love to have been a teenager and be out and be accepted and be uh, able to, you know, go on dates and go to the movies mm-hmm. and go to dinner mm-hmm. and not be afraid for my physical and spiritual well-being. So I, I completely see what you're saying there. I completely empathize with that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's also, I think that, wouldn't it be cool if we had like somebody like sometimes I think also is like having like men like being able to go through what we're going through in life just like you know we all go through things in life and having like somebody to guide us and I think when you can't look at your parents we can't look to look towards your parents or like peers in that way it's also like you're alone in this in this experience and so it's Mm. it's interesting you say that with like you know how do gay men act they're also now doing it with peers and that that i think there's something very comforting there it's something that you get to like learn together and explore together and like experience life together which i i didn't you know uh, i i 1000% i mean 1000% agree it's if i could have the friend group that i had now back then mm-hmm. i i just keep thinking you know how very very different my life would have been if i got to you know, maybe have like a 20 year do over almost. But I'm kind of glad that I didn't because I think that the reason that I, you know, spend so much time on my show championing, uh, championing the issues that we we discuss there and the kinds Mm -hmm. of causes that we talk about is because I learned what it was like to not be accepted and to, to, to kind of have to fight for your existence and to, um, to know what it's like to be the only person in the room like you. Uh, so I, 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 I have a deep, deep, deep sense of empathy and, um, uh, the sense of constantly unpacking, uh, that marginalization intersecting with the privilege that I carry as a, you know, big, tall white guy. Um, so it's, I, I totally see that. And I just, I agree with you. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that when we get a little older, we come out. When did you say you came out? I came out at like 30. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. 
that's just wow that is a lot to hold on to for that long but when did you know like when did you know i didn't i I don't think i knew i like although like when pete when you ask like i can say all these things that i said it you know as a kid or that i was aware of continuously growing up and like in seminary you know i've had experiences with women but but also female sexuality is so it's so not um respected in society, I think, you know, in general, it can be, it's an issue. It's seen as something for men's consumption. And so there's this, it's hard to know, it, like, what is real, because you're not kind of allowed to be, you're not given that. So you kind of have to understand it and build it from yourself, like, you know, from within. And especially growing up in a culture that, you know, it's all like men and women, this is what men do. And it's all about your husband. And there's this really, it took me a long time to, to understand my own sexuality and that my own desires matter on their own. And it wasn't about somebody else. Palaya, do you feel that as well? That, that, you know, the experiences that you have, the life that you have, that you're constantly battling internally, that, you know, you're reminding yourself, no, 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 this is real. This is valid. Definitely. Maybe not now. I feel like I've come to like process of like coming out to understand myself and to give value to what I am. But I was definitely thinking the other day, I was searching for this. Um, I was listening to this live event and they were talking about queerness and kind of like what we're talking about here about like the teenage years being delayed and i remember like thinking to myself when i was a kid uh, and a teenager where nobody around me was gay and at least like nobody that um i liked and everything was kind of like cut away from me everybody was like discovering their sexuality and uh, going on dates and hooking up with people and it was like all about that because when you're a teenager like you talk so much about those things and I would have nothing to say. And I remember just thinking to myself, damn, I hope I'm successful in like other ways because <laughs> I don't think I'm ever going to find anybody. <laughs> so at least I'll have like, I don't know, like a good job or something. Um, but yeah, I think so. I was going to ask you if you have Firelight, anything from your tradition mm-hmm. growing up that you are using now as a pagan? Oh gosh. Um, well, I I don't really exclude things from my upbringing, but I um, you know I I still love me some Christmas. <laughs> I <Okay>. still <laughs> uh, you know Easter comes around and I love me some Easter. But but for me, those... You're naming all the pagan holidays anyway. <laughs> right, sure. <laughs> um, but but that's the I guess that's the thing is that that for me uh, the the important part about my spiritual path is that just sort of the the act of being alive and the act of continuing and the act of perseverance and the act of the world continuing to cycle through its its natural changes that is my church that's my uh, sacredness that's what's uh powerful to me and that's what means something to me um you know we were talking earlier about coming out to your parents and i i suppose the the most i've ever come out to them is saying well one we don't believe the same things, you know, just kind of having a blunt conversation about we we don't believe the same things. But two, that, you know, when my mom is is going on about, you know, Easter's coming up, have you guys found a church home yet? I'm like, mom, it's been 14 years. Come on now. <laughs> I've been with my husband for 14 years. We haven't found a church home yet. We're not going to go find a church home. Um, but, uh, you know, just, have you, are, are you guys going to a Sunday service? Are you going to an Easter service or something? No, I'm I'm not. But the, the conversation then becomes, but I don't need that. You know, the world is my church. Uh, the, 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 the entire world is my church. Other people are my church. Um, you know, the, the, the act of connecting to other people, the act of connecting to the world around me, giving back to 
the world around me. Um, that is my church. That Those are my acts of service. Uh, so if anything that I brought from my childhood, from, you know, being raised good old Southern Baptist, uh, is, I guess, at least a sense that um, your fellow man is is your community, is your church, is your, uh, is your, it can be at least your spiritual home. So that that's still something I carry with me. You know, the funny thing is, uh, I, I do think, and like I was saying earlier, I think that we all tend to agree with things a lot more than we think we do. Mm-hmm. It's that when people put a label on it, when people put a name mm-hmm. to it, that's when people get afraid because, well, that's not the label that I know. I mean, mm-hmm. I know so mm-hmm. many good Christian women, good Christian guys that, that you know, read their tarot cards or check their mm-hmm. astrology mm-hmm. charts or doctors and nurses will talk about what happens in the full moon. And it's, it's, it's interesting how we incorporate folklore and fairy tale and myth and, 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 things that that modern pagans consider sacred um, into everyday colloquial conversation. And yet when you say, oh gosh, that's pagan, mm. <laughs> all of a sudden that shuts yeah. the conversation mm-hmm. completely down. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think that they, um, you know, I think we believe in the basic goodness of one another, but beyond that, it, it's, it's difficult to say, oh yeah, we see eye to eye. Right. Part of my own growing education is a increasing awareness of the language and positioning that's used in conversations like these that um, can still center the quote-unquote normal experience, mm-hmm. right? So how how are these conversations received by by our our traditional families? How are these? How are you know? How are our practices um, mm-hmm. different from what we're used to. So um, as we wrap up, I'm, I'm wondering for each of you, if you can name something in, in the current ways that you connect with the spirit, um, with your spiritual lives or your religious practice that is, is affirming for you, something that you've really grown to appreciate and, and made your own in the, in the unique place that you've come to on your journey. Well, I for me, I, I think that the the nice thing about um, leaving the the Christian faith, uh, or at least the Southern Baptist, you know, very specific Southern Baptist East Texas uh, church faith, and coming to paganism is that I I feel a little bit more in control of out of control situations. I, you know, when, when I was a Christian and uh, gosh, bad things happen. Oh, you got to pray about it. And, and you basically sort of have to give over control. But for me now, I do feel at least that I'm participating in the solution spiritually, but not only that, you know, gosh, if I need a job, I better go out and actually have an app, uh, put out some applications. But, you know, taking an active spiritual role in it, not a passive spiritual role. So if if there's, you know, something going on in my life, there's a candle I can light. There is a there's a thing that I can carry with me. There is, uh, you know, there are petitions that I can make. And and those things let me feel a lot more uh, in control of the situation, or at least like I'm doing something about it. Whereas mm-hmm. I, I did feel quite a sense of helplessness growing up because it's, you know, y- you have no power here. <laughs> you you are nobody. Mm. You are a peon. You are dust in the universe. You matter to nobody and 
nothing. Whereas now I do feel like I'm a lot more connected to the world around me and that I'm participating in, in change. Mm. You have agency. Yeah. I think for me, it would be exploring and being able to just not take anything for granted, being able to like live in the grace, mm -hmm. being able to know that it doesn't have to be right or left. It can be like uh, something in between and that uh, you can really combine things from your upbringing and you can bring things new into life and just try th new things. And if something doesn't work, you don't have to use it, but at least you can experience and have a have a new perspective in life and not only just everything like set up i think like in general I just like run from that because that was like so what my family is and what uh my culture is of so, like okay you you know this you this is the territory that you want to um that you want to own and this is where you should stay but just exploring things that you don't really understand or know it's something very liberating melissa how about you yeah for me i mean I really like what both of you said, um, Firelight and Palayo. I think for me, it's a lot of that. It's about not like being comfortable, um, not not having the answers, which is something that I think is a lifelong thing for me because I'm always asking questions. And I think getting comfortable with the questions is something that's um, a big thing for me, and um, and that I work towards. And being and also being in the gray. So like, it's a it's 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 a it's a it's a hard thing of, um, and it's something that in, in it's called in, in Hebrew is Bahira. It's it's a concept of choice and how much choice, sorry, I'm whistling, how much choice do we really have? And what Firelight was saying is like, now you feel like you have, you get to do something active. And so for me, I think the, the work that, how I try to live or what I try to work on is how much can I do? And also how much do I let go? How much do I be like, this is not something I can control. This is just how I feel and accept that I don't have all the answers. And then also what can I do to make myself feel like I have some sort of control or to uh, make myself feel better or to feel active. So it's like that kind of, I think like both of what Kalayo and Firelight said, it's like trying to have that walk between those two. Well, I, I want to just appreciate all three of you for, for taking the time to, to join this, you know, th this conversation is is for me it's a it's it's actually the start of um a series that i'm really excited to do during this time where we're we're in this ever-evolving pandemic we we don't know exactly where we're going to end up and and for us doing the show at tacoma radio you know we're currently under this restriction where we can't go into the studio but um what that's motivated me to do is is to look further and to really see what are the what are the voices that are out there that are speaking um, with with power and and really helping people unravel some of these questions or at least ask deep questions as as we're exploring these issues of identity and issues of of religion and what it means and how it is that we come um into into connection with each other part of the motivation for for doing this approach in this series comes comes from this this quote that i read recently from um the international baha'i institutions and and it says that at a time when the urgency of attaining higher levels of unity founded on the incontestable truth of humanity's oneness is becoming apparent to larger and larger numbers. Society stands in need of clear voices that can articulate the spiritual principles that underlie such an aspiration. And 
when I think about your shows and the power that you guys have in, in claiming those voices and becoming those clear voices, um, I just I see you as 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 being collaborators and helping to helping people really understand their interconnectedness and that oneness. So so I'm, I I want to thank you for that. Thank mm, you for really for doing this great work. Thank you. It's really really thank nice. You thank you for having you. us. And yes, giving a voice to LGBTQ LGBTQ areas of faith that are, are sometimes like not really given like the importance that they deserve. Awesome. So obviously, I want to encourage everybody to go out and check the Forbidden Apple and uh, inciting a riot. So, Palayo and Melissa, can you share with our listeners about about how to connect with the Forbidden Apple? Yes, please. Yeah. We are uh, at the Forbidden Apple podcast in Instagram and Facebook. And we also have our new series in Patreon, which is the Forbidden Apple, just like that. Uh, www.patreon.com slash the Forbidden Apple. And we'll be reviewing, I'm interviewing Melissa in mm-hmm. how her childhood was, how her upbringing was. So that's a really interesting uh, new project that we just started. Cool, and you can also I, I think we can you can see Melissa on the new uh, Netflix show Unorthodox, yeah. right? You were uh, had a consulting role uh, on that show. I did, and a and a cameo, like you said, yeah. Very cool. I love that. I love that show. Yeah. Um, really, really great work, and I, I I'm in parallel so much of what you were talking about in your experience too. Yeah. So it sounds like they they had a lot of accuracy with how they did. They did, that yeah. Experience. They did a pretty good job. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Firelight, um, how about for you, how folks can connect and, and incite a riot themselves? <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at Inciting a Riot. Uh, my blog and uh, website is incitingariot.com. Uh, you can email me, Firelight, F-I-R-E-L-Y-T-E, at incitingariot.com. Uh, Facebook.com slash Inciting a Riot podcast. I'm also on there as Firelight. Um, and, oh, I have a Patreon as well. Uh, for folks that uh, subscribe to the Patreon, you get episodes early, uh, uh, full-length, uncut, unedited audio, which is so fun. <laughs> Very cool. Any Netflix shows that you've guessed it on? <laughs> no. Um, are, they still, the closest... are they still developing... They're still developing the Pappy Firelight historical drama. The closest that I've gotten to that is uh, I'm I guess I'm acquaintances with one of the uh, producers of the the new Sabrina show uh, because he oh. was hired on as a consultant <laughs> and then he's been moved up to producer. So yeah, I'm I've got nice. at least one Netflix connection there. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Well, thank you everyone so much for taking this time this morning to, to be together. And I hope we can uh, keep the conversations going so we can we can learn from each other in the future as well. Yes. Thank you so for much. Sure. It was really great. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Dear listener, that's a wrap on this week's Interfaith-ish. I want to thank my guests, Palayo and Melissa from The Forbidden Apple and Firelight from Inciting a Riot. As always, I want to give a shout out to my fellow interfaith astronauts, Miranda Hovemeyer and Sue Katz Miller, and our musical maestro, Jeff Philosopher. And thank you, dear listener, for spending your hour with us. You can find our entire back catalog of interfaith-ish episodes wherever you find and enjoy podcasts. Follow us on social media at interfaith-ish. Leave us a voicemail on our special listener line, 202-599-2953. And keep writing us about the Interfaith-ish you wish to dish at interfaithish at gmail.com. Interfaith-ish will be back in two weeks. Until then, keep it locked to WOWD 94.3 FM for great music and programs. Seven days a week is streaming online at tacomaradio.org.